If you see my spatula and my apron sitting on your front steps, just know I'm upstairs going hard. Bing bong. On today's episode of My Dad's a Chef, Billy and I discuss what is the proper grocery shopping strategy, how different people go about it, what's the right way to do it. And yes, in my opinion, there's a right way to do it. We go over the weirdest food, drink, infusions, combinations, whatever you want to think about it. Our food fact of the week brought to you by cookslider.com. And as always, stirring the pot. Let's get cooking. Off the grill, bitch. It's my dad's a chef presented by your grandma's apple pie. Steaming out the window. A nice summer day. Your grandma's apple pie. I'm your host, Kyle Longside. Wait a minute. No, Billy, you know what? Time out. I enjoyed you so much in the intro last week that you are now part of the intro. Wow. I feel so honored. So you, get, you, for now, from here on out, you get to mention our not real sponsor if you do choose so. Wow, that is truly a privilege. I can't wait till we have real sponsors to actually present in this part of our intro. No, no, I won't be presenting them. You'll be presenting them. We, we're a team. A team. There's no I in team. You're right. Hot off the grill, bitch. It's my dad's a chef presented by your grandma's. <laughs> your grandma's apple pie steaming out the window on a cool summer's day. There you go. Grandma's apple pie. I'm your host, Kyle, alongside Bill, and our dads are chefs. We know what we're talking about. See, that wasn't that wasn't that wasn't bad. That was a good first run. That was good. Yeah, we you know, there's a first time for everything, right? Yeah, I'm just happy to have you on the intro now. You know, happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm leaving Louisville for the fans. I am leaving Kentucky for like the time being, wherever else I'm gonna be. And I've been I've known I've had to leave for like a couple weeks. Right. Billy's very excited about it. I hope. Ready, ready for content. I hope. Get ready. Yeah, get ready, people. So I kind of like had this weird realization. It's not like the first realization people have, but I grocery shop less and less. And I'm really starting to grocery shop for like, like things I need instead of like, you know, extra things that I would want and like just jumping around on my grocery list. So I realized there's different ways that people could go about grocery grocery shopping there's different ways about it like for what people need or what people want so in your opinion bill i i, I know the right way to do it there is a right way but what do you think is the right way to go grocery shopping i like to start from right to left personally okay. so at the market i shop at the right starts with all the dairy products the cheeses yogurts milks everything like that so i start getting cheeses i need any like cream cheese for the bagels, get my yogurt, milk, deli section. If I'm in the mood for some deli meat, deli cheeses. I'll get some of that there. And then I come back down and around. That's where the juices and the eggs are. Sometimes I get eggs depending on how long our eggs are lasting us for when we get a carton. Then you go up the soup aisle. That's where the hot dogs, sausages, kielbasa. Usually get a sausage and a kielbasa pack. Those are pretty easy and quick defrosters for when you forget to take something out for dinner the night before. Then we go to the seafood section. I usually like to get a bag of uh, frozen haddock. And then we'll go down. There's the chips and salsa section, other rices and spices in that section as well. 
usually like to get some of the uh, minute rice or like to get some of the pasticides, I believe is what they're called. I believe they're by knots and K-N-O-T-T-S, no free outs. And then I go up the cereal aisle, get my cereal. Granola bars are in that aisle as well. And then I go down the next aisle. I don't know what the next aisle is. I forget. I think it's, I think that's where the snacks start getting into play. Now, in between the snacks and where the meat is, there's like the three or four aisles of like the toiletries, the paper plates, the like pet section. And I never go in those. I have no need for those. So I usually skip those aisles and go straight to the meat section. I'll check out what the turkey selection is. Usually we get some ground turkey meat for Taco Tuesday. Check out the steak. Usually the steak is between the turkey and the chicken. And then I'll check out the chicken. And then I'll loop back around to the bread aisles. If I need any bread or bagels or anything like that. Always check out the bakery section. Bakery section always usually in front of the breads. Sometimes they got some really cheap day-old stuff. The other day I got inspired by seeing a pack of day-old bread to make some French toast. So had to do that. Then there's the frozen food section. I always go frozen food last. Frozen food and vegetables and produce last. Always, always is my theory. Because I like to take a while at the market. I like to ponder. I like to think. Maybe there's something that I see that inspires me to want to tap into my inner chef, tap into what has been passed down through my lineage. And then, yeah, I check out the produce. Always make sure your produce is nice, fresh, and firm. No bruises, no markings, no dents. Big bills, big three for always checking out like a, something like a tomato or an apple. And yeah, then I go and check out afterwards. So I go right from left, starting with my dairy and milk products, finishing all the way to my frozen and produce products. Nice. I'm, I'm very glad that I was able to hear your grocery store experience. I think the question that I was asking, though, was how do, what's the proper way to grocery shop? Do you know what I mean? I just told you. Right, so from, left, goes, okay. right from left, starting from dairy, ending up frozen. It's important, people. So always start on the outside. Do you know why, Bill? Why? Because that's where all the healthy shit is, right? So but let's go. Let's go into the way you brought it up. My market here, veggies and stuff are on the right first. I go right all the way around. So I do a big circle to start. So I go to the right. I grab any greens, any veggies, and whatnot. I go around, there's the turkey and chicken, grab some of that. The next would be like yogurts and cheese, grab whatever I need off that. And when I mean by grab what I need, I want to like point this out now. It's very important to know what you need when you go out shopping. What I like to do is I like to play a little game and you can make fun of me if you want. I like to have a set budget of how much I'm going to spend when I go in the market, right? Start grabbing stuff and I like price it out in my head. I'm like, okay, spinach is like $1.29. And then like these bananas are like $1.39. So that's like $3 plus already that I'm spending. And then, you know, just go off from there. So I'll set like an $80 budget and that's how I start. And that's what I base my outside on. So if I have, let's say I spend, I'm spending like $50 worth of stuff. That's all on the outside part of the store. And then I'll just go, oh, okay, well, you know, I have 30 X amount of dollars to shop on the inside. And when you shop on the inside, 
like be very, very careful. Stay to the early fives. Because one, two, three, four, five, I guarantee you in half the markets that, you know, I've been into at least, it's all like the, the rice, the beans, the, um, the soups, the pastas, all that, all that good stuff. Because once you get to like the late tens or the, like the late ones, I should say, or like the early tens, that's when you start getting all the bad stuff. And I allow myself one treat, one bad thing each time when I get a bag of Twizzlers. That's it. But yeah, always stay around, stay to the early number aisles. That's, and I just go off of what I need from there. I think it's interesting you say that. Do you buy like no frozen foods? Like no frozen veggies or anything I'll like buy, that? Well, no, I, I will buy, I'll buy like frozen broccoli or anything like that. Anything I know I'm going to eat for a long period of time. Cause, and you gotta be careful with that too. Cause if you keep like the only thing that I buy fresh consistently is spinach because spinach, spinach and Brussels sprouts. Cause they'll go, those go bad fairly sooner than like broccoli would and such. But I know I'm a big broccoli guy. If I'm going to eat broccoli for a long period of time, for like a week or two, and I know I'm going to have like a mixed amount of things in between each of those meals, then I'll buy like a couple bags of frozen broccoli or like green beans and shit. So. I think it's, I think you, there's two points I specifically want to bring up about what you were talking about. First is budget. I think it's really important if you're on a budget to budget at the market. Yeah. Like you said, it's important to kind of know what you're going to go, what you're going to get going into it. But that kind of ties into what I want to say about your second point being don't buy anything extra. I think I disagree with you there because nine times out of 10 for what I get inspiration for that isn't already on my list in terms of cooking something or in terms of doing something else is from what I see at the market. Typically, if it's like a sale item or a manager special or, uh, you know, maybe it's a first cut piece of meat, things like that. Yeah, that's typically where I get my inspiration from. And again, I am kind of somebody where I am fortunate enough to not need to really budget out my food. I mean, you know, I, I granted I budget about, you know, 100 to $150 every one to two weeks regarding it. But I also buy food for two people. Again, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to not really do that. But for me, that's not really part of my strategy. I definitely go in with my list. I, I, I am a big advocate for if you do not have a grocery list going into the grocery store, you are going to forget something you need. Because mm-hmm. that way you, you, you know what you need and you can build off of it from there. It's a good uh, trick to put it on your notes. So that's, this is what I do. I put everything I know that I'm going to want or anything I know I'm going to need in my notes. And I keep that in my grocery store notes the entire time. And anything I want extra, I can just add into that. But I got to have those, you know, important stuff, the important stuff first, because that's why I budget, because I know what I'm going to want. I know what I need. I balance out each time I eat per day. So I know, like, if I'm going to have anything extra, that's just going to be something extra that I would have along with that, you know, set meal or in between that time. And I think, I think I kind of go back on my take too, where, you know, it is okay to overbuy or like buy more than what you need because you can think about leftovers before you even leave the market, before you even make anything, right? Because you can get creative with all the stuff that you buy, then that's, that's a plus and that saves you a day or two going out and buying food. You know what I mean? Good to buy what you need, but you know, it does not hurt to buy a little more depending on like what you're looking for and like what you want. Everybody's different. I don't know. I preach like avoid 
avoid the late aisles. Avoid those as much as you can. Yeah, I mean, that's where all the snacks and stuff are, but there's nothing wrong with snacks. Absolutely I'm, I'm, not. And if I'm, you're, I'm that. a big chip guy. That's fine. Yeah. Am I, gonna that's, I mean, I don't know. Probably not. That's where I see it. It's okay to snack in moderation. Now, when you were a kid, I don't know, you could also probably still do this today if you really wanted to. Did you ever eat things while you're at the market? No. My mom wouldn't let me. My parents always let me get one <laughs> cheese stick. The cheese stick was all I got throughout the whole market trip. Another key thing about grocery shopping strategy, and I think every single person in the history of history should know this, never go food shopping when you're hungry. Never. Because then you will really overbuy. Then you will really yeah. overbuy. Because yeah. that $3 candy bar you see at the counter or you know that $5 bag of cookies at the bakery looks way better when you're hungry than you are full. Mm -hmm. And a good practice to this could be, say you plan on grocery shopping that day, you wake up, you eat breakfast first, and then you go grocery shopping. I love grocery shopping in the morning, by the way. Either grocery shopping in the morning or late at night. Those are the only two times I'll grocery shop. I kind of make it, I, I do, I love going to the market. I make a day out of it. Low key, low key, I kind of do too. It makes me feel like dad mode has been activated. Yeah. You know, sometimes I just throw my AirPods in, mm -hmm. listen to music, drown out the rest of the world. Put on a podcast, you know, just be, be, be in you, be in your moment, you know. It's like a form of self-meditation. It's like, what do they call that? Retail therapy, except like <laughs> it's food. Food therapy. Well, there's food a therapy. Like food therapy too, but you know. Food therapy. Our food fact of the week this week is brought to you by cookslider.com. Shout out cookslider.com. So it's it's the holiday season. It's almost Christmas time. You have turkey on Thanksgiving. Christmas, you have goose. I don't know why, but now I do. Do you know why, Bill? I never had turkey on Thanksgiving. Wow, I shouldn't say that. I never had goose on Christmas, so I don't know. I haven't either. But a lot of people have. So apparently this is why. So cornercookslaughter.com, the tradition of eating goose on Christmas dates back to the ancient Greeks. Geese hatch in the spring. They tend to achieve their largest size just after the harvest period when their spoils from the harvest would have been left on the ground by farmers. The geese would have gorged themselves on the leftover food and become the perfect size just in time for the Christmas period. Right, eight or nine months for a goose to fully develop, grow into a size and belly up by Christmas, right? So it's not limited to the ancient Greeks. It's more, uh, there's also evidence that roast goose was regularly offered to Odin and Thor by the Norse people being back to the late 9th and 11th centuries. And the popularity of the Christmas goose continues into the Middle Ages, where it was the centerpiece of the feast day known as Michaelmas. Shout out Mike's. The feast day celebrated the end of the harvest changing of the seasons. Now, thanks to Charles Dickens and his novels, we know that roast goose was part of the traditional Christmas dinner enjoyed by the Victorians. However, Dickens is blamed by some for the demise of the roast goose and its rifle praising Christmas tradition. And it goes on about a Christmas carol being like the beginning of the end of the roast goose. But I think that's why I may have haven't had it. You may haven't had it or like other people haven't had it. Oh, here it is right here. By associating the bird with, the, it, with this down-on-their-luck family, a.k.a. the Cratchits, 
Dickens turned the once revered roast goose into a poor man's supper, combined with the fact that Scrooge sends the urchin to buy a prized turkey rather than a prized goose at the end of the novel, meaning roast goose on Christmas somewhat fell out of favor of the Victorian era. So, like, that's kind of fucked up. I don't want to say we don't really have often interesting food facts. This one's definitely, like, a lot of layers to it. I like approached that and like very spotty. I apologize to the listeners, but like that was just a very. There was a lot to take in. No, there's just a lot to take in. Yeah. Try reading it. It was ridiculous. But shout out the Cratchits. Not they do nothing wrong. By the way, they can have their goose. Goose is fine. Duck's fine. You ever had duck? Have I ever had duck? No. It tastes like chicken, but interesting that a Christmas Carol kind of ruined like the whole. Goose vibe on Christmas, you know? Didn't pass the vibe check. Pass the vibe check. Didn't, it, it didn't do the assignment. Or they didn't understand. It. I don't know what that mean, thing is. I don't know. My dad's a chef. Fuck your life. Bing, Bing bong. bong. Two episodes in a row. We're still keeping that relevant. Have you ever had a goose, though? No, I've had duck. Have you had goose? No, but thankfully on cookslaughter.com, it tells you what a goose tastes like. Do tell. Ah. I see right here. A goose largely tastes depending on how it was raised, in the diet it was fed, and the way it is prepared. The taste of goose is often said to lay between that of chicken and duck. It has similar texture to chicken, but a dark color and gaminess similar to duck. Some people have even compared a roasted goose to a rare roast beef joint due to its rich and succulent meat offering. Interesting. Apparently, they're also exceptionally fatty. Interesting. Would you try it? Honestly, I mean, I love roast beef, so yeah, I would try it. I like chicken and I like roast beef, so I guess technically, according to my taste buds, I have no reason to not like goose. I mean, if duck was good, I mean, I could imagine goose was fine. I mean, considering the amount of geese that have ever terrorized me in my life, it's about time we eat one of them. Yeah, Bax, those dudes are, those dudes will mess you up dude like don't get a goose or geese mad man i watched that one episode of spongebob no it's not spongebob it's rugrats wow rugrats where they're at the park and tommy's grandpa grandpa lou lost his dentures and they end up in the mouth of a goose and they started chasing chasing tommy and all them around and i was like little and i was like petrified of it and i was like yo goose suck geese suck so Another example of childhood cartoon propaganda. So keeping on the topic of kind of lost food traditions, weird food traditions, things that you just don't see every day. Did you hear about Lay's new vodka? Is it like the 7-Up cake? I don't know what that is. That, is that, have you seen that on Twitter? No. Have you seen like, dude, there's this meme or just this picture. I don't even think it's a meme. I think it's just like, a what, what, what is this? It's 7-Up flavored cake. It's disgusting. I'm to pull up a picture for you. Okay. I don't think I would like that. I'm going to be honest. I don't think anybody would. Ah, uh, some people out there would. You like banana life, Daddy. Uh, here we go. Yeah, right here. See? For those of you listening, please look it up. It's like a... Wow, that's not what I expected it to look like either. It literally looks like a normal, like in a plastic container with a black bottom cake and there's icing on it and everything and i i do not think i would try that it is seven it is on sale it is 7.99 oh thank god 
but what the hell are we doing here? What's up with everybody mixing? Stop mixing drinks and food. Stop. Well, for Lay's, it makes sense, though, because you can yes. you you can use potatoes to make vodka. So I'm kind of surprised that the Lay's company wasn't already involved in some portion of the vodka game. You think they would, or like any potato company for that matter. Is there any other like weird food drink infusions that you've had or seen that you're just like, I heard about the other day. Sure. Right. It's, uh, get ready. It's Oreo barefoot wine. Sorry, what? Oreo barefoot wine. Why? Who? Precisely Oreo thins. So it's like not the whole Oreo. Why is what? Does that that doesn't make it any better? It doesn't. It's the same thing. I mean, it's a it's a red blend grape wine with natural flavors. So what the hell are we doing here? Like grape. So I'll, I'll be honest. I I'm not a big wine guy, and I'll preface this with people who are gonna say, "Bill, you are a wine guy." With I've only really drank in shitty box wine. I've had plenty of nights in college that have involved shitty box wine. Some of them are my favorite, don't get me wrong. But yeah, I don't know. I never had like an amazing like $50 for a glass wine or like a really expensive bottle of wine. So I mean, if anybody ever wants to gift me a wine to try, I'll definitely try it. But I know what a red wine should taste like generically, you know, just just from having sips of it at some point or small glasses of it at some point or you know slamming franzia boxes in a whole day and a half i can just not imagine that tastes good at all well it makes it worse because you know to your point about cheap wine you can literally buy barefoot for like five bucks so it is cheap wine yeah so it's just making it worse like what like i can't imagine because okay so it's all, from foodandwine.com. By the way, if you want good food news, up to date, accurate, cutting edge, hot off the press, foodandwine.com. That's what we use. You guys should use it too. No free ads. Barefoot says this is their very first cookie inspired wine. It's intended to perfectly pair with Oreo thins thanks to a 13% ABV blend, aromas of chocolate, and tasting notes that include more chocolate, cookies, and cream and oak along with natural flavors of blackberry and dark cherries. So I feel like it's different to say that it pairs with the food because I'm all for pairing drinks with food, but it still has those flavors in it. It, I don't think it pairs perfectly at all. I, I don't. It just sounds disgusting. I, we need to taste. We need to try it. We're going to have to try it. Try it. We're going to have to try that. We're going to have to try the Lay's vodka, which I'll be very disappointed if it doesn't taste like potato chips. I think I would be disappointed if it tasted like, I don't think I want a salty potato-y vodka, to be honest. I'd rather have Oreo wine, like cream. That's a good question, actually. Would you rather have potato chip vodka or or Oreo-flavored wine, red wine specifically? Because I feel like a white wine might be able to get away with it, considering those are already dessert wines, but. I don't think so, because red, red wine, you have a lot more texture into it than a white wine. White wine is a lot more clear, a lot more straight so if you add the elements of like the the chocolate the cookies and cream it's gonna be a very heavy yet gross wine yeah 
I think you sold me. I think I might, I might prefer the Lay's vodka. Good with cherry. Chocolate beer is good with cherry. Everybody knows that. Yeah. So if that is the case, then that's a one, you know, flavor. Those are two flavors that can come together good and make it somewhat decent. If it is decent, I, again, I doubt it. And I'm sorry, barefoot, no offense, but this isn't it. This just isn't it. Yeah. It's a first of its kind for a cookie wine and it should be its last. Yeah. But what's the difference again? What's the difference between Oreo thins and just regular Oreos? I don't know why it's just straight because you, well, you, you like know what the physical differences are, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking at pictures right here. Like, is it because you can use less? I think it's because it's considered healthier. But if you're put, I don't know the again, I don't know the well. Here, here, think of it this way let, let me sell you on something real quick. Let's say I'm gonna be very assumptuous here, by the way. Let's say you're like a mid 30s mom kids at home, stressful day, but kids are in bed now, right? And you just want to sit and relax with your favorite cookie and a big glass of wine. So you come home, open up those Oreo thins, because honey, you know you're being health conscious, even though Oreos are not the way to do it. And you sit down, pour your glass of barefoot wine that pairs perfectly with that Oreo, honey. You're getting your health in. The doctors told you red wine's good for your heart. And you are just relaxing. Sex in the city on the TV, baby. That's, okay. how, that, that's who it's for. That's who it's for. Yeah, I know. But, I, and again, I don't know the contents. I don't know if, how much Oreos go into one bottle. But it, there's no defeating the purpose of when you eat a whole thing of Oreo mints or a whole thing of Oreos. There's no, like, that, like there's just no, I mean, shout out moms if that's what you're into. But. I still think I'd rather the Lay's vodka over the Oreo wine, though. So here, so the resulting barefoot Oreo thins red blend wine, billed on the label as a grape wine with natural flavors, will be sold starting December 9th exclusively at barefootwine.com slash Oreo thins. For $24.99, shoppers will receive two 750 milliliter bottles of wine along with one package of Oreo thin cookies for their pairing pleasure. Can I tell you about a wine mixed drink? Does it involve cookies? No. It's a very simple cocktail. Allow me to introduce you to the worst drink you're ever going to have. But as a broke college student, it did the job. So as I told you, plenty of nights where boxes of wine have been involved. And sometimes those boxes of wines are not very good. So... On one faithful evening, my roommate and I, we searched up how to make boxed wine better. And we found the most fabled cocktail that ever exists in this world. And if any of you know what this cocktail is after I say it, and you've had it before, please let us know on social media, at my dad's a chef pod, Instagram and Twitter about it. It's called a Calamitoxo. A Calamitoxo is equal parts red wine and Diet Coke. That's it. That's the mix. Interesting. Is it good? No. Is it palatable? Probably not. Do we drink it anyway? You better believe it. Interesting. Calamitoxo. 
also very fun to say. Lamatox, Lamatox, Lamatox. And now it is time for the only reoccurring segment on this podcast. Stir in the pot. Stir in the pot. Where we debate popular food topics because we can. I feel like the slogan is starting to become less and less relevant when we talk about stirring the pots, though. It keeps it, people sure, though. Yeah, it, it, it keeps people, it keeps people uh, in yeah, the okay. conversation. Again, on social media, let us know. Stirring the pot conversation topics you ever want to hear us talk about. You guys, if you've listened to us this far down the road, you know we like to argue about food. Give us something to argue about. Yeah. This week, we talk horseradish. Is horseradish good? Or not? I think it is. I'll tell you where I got this idea from. My girlfriend and I have been trying to spice up steak night recently. And I not only am asking for a cast iron skillet for Christmas, but I am also investigating different steak sauces. So one of the steak sauces I found in one of the cookbooks we have is a horseradish cream sauce. Now, it was very simple to make. It's about a tablespoon of horseradish. I believe it was half a cup of sour cream. A tablespoon of lemon juice, or a teaspoon of lemon juice, sorry. And I think that was it. Maybe a pinch of garlic. You just stir it up real good. Serve it with your steak. And it was my first time having horseradish, honestly. I've like I've tried it before. I've 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 had an understanding of the flavor. I know it's kind of a very powerful spice, very powerful kind of just like aromatic through your like whole system. And I I akin it kind of to a tartar sauce in a sense of like how it kind of feels on your tongue. If that makes any sense, mm-hmm. that's like horseradish sauce. There's yeah. two. There's a difference. There's horseradish that looks like that's like kind of like a wasabi type of texture. And then there's a horseradish that's like a tartar sauce type of texture. Important to note. Yeah, I I use the wasabi kind to make this sauce that I'm particularly talking about. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was all right. I mean, am I clamoring to make it again? No. Do I like the taste of horseradish? It's not my go-to. I don't think it's going to be a go-to for me. I had it again, though, the next day with leftovers. It wasn't that bad the next day. I think the big thing was it was supposed to be a served cold sauce and I served it kind of room temperature because uh, horseradish was not in the fridge prior. The sour cream was in the fridge prior. So it had kind of like that lukewarm uh, flavor, flavor temperature to it. So I think once it cooled and kind of all congealed together, I think it made it a little bit more good. Well, it's strong and spicy. So that's why a lot of people don't like it because not a lot of people like strong and spicy stuff. But the horseradish, I, like eating it straight up is a whole other thing. Horseradish is very good with like prime rib or just any type of steak or beef or pork. Weirdly, it's good with sushi and it's a good substitute for wasabi. I mean, and steak is probably the ideal pairing with horseradish. I guess you could put it on fish because it's kind of like a tartar sauce, but 
at the same time, fish can only can only pair with like a strong and spicy taste to it. Depending on like what you're eating or like what you're doing, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of horseradish. I never had a problem with it. I see why people do have a problem with it, but it's like my first option. No, I'd rather go with like tartar sauce over anything else. Yeah, I, I I'm a big tartar sauce guy. I'll say that if I'm eating a fried fish sandwich or fried anything, clams, shrimp, whatever, I love dousing that mother in tartar sauce. So you made your own horseradish. You ever had horseradish that like you never made your own or? I mean, I had like a, before I made the sauce, I had like a spoonful of the horseradish itself to make sure it wasn't like a completely overpowering flavor that I would not like at all. Mm -hmm. I actually thought my girlfriend wouldn't like it because I know she's typically not a fan of strong, spicy flavors, but she actually really enjoyed it. But I think it's because it had a sour cream base and she really likes sour cream. Nice. And for further context, you know, horseradish is essentially a, a veggie like a root veggie that is in relation to like a spicy or Dijon mustard. We said wasabi, you know, and again, it's spicy, strong. It's good. It's a good condiment. I'm, I'm not hating on it. I like horseradish. And I think if you don't like horseradish, I encourage you to broaden your horizons, actually give it a try. Especially with like a nice ribs, like a steak sandwich or something. Steak sandwiches, those slap. See, I feel like, now I want to try it in a steak sandwich or like a pub sandwich with that horseradish sour cream sauce I was talking about, but I want to do chives, maybe a little bit of onion powder added into that. I think that would be really, really good. That would be really good. And like, yeah, because, and the onion is a great pairing too, because onions have a strong taste. They're not spicy, but they're strong. Horseradish is strong yet spicy. So you're just intensifying how strong they are but you're leaving the spicy in there too because that kind of contradicts it in a way. It's a good comparison, Bill. That's very good. Your dad must be a chef. Nice job. Yeah, he taught me well. So like we said, ladies and gentlemen, it's the holiday season, which means it's time to eat some cookies. It's time to eat some desserts. But I'm a big cookie guy. Now, we're not going to talk about, you know, holidays nowadays. It's like, you know, gingerbread cookies, all that stuff. Can't be a chocolate chip cookie. You cannot beat a chocolate chip cookie. I don't care who you are. Chocolate chip cookies are always good. And they're different. And you're pretty, okay. So this kind of goes into our topic. There's different perceptions of chocolate chip cookies and it's all because how they're baked. Now it could ruin the experience of the chocolate chip cookie because people might not like the texture of that chocolate chip cookie. However, we brought it down to a science and Bill and I have experimented and researched, developed, and studied all these different types of cookies, how they're baked, what they're baked with. So we have a list right here. Obviously, you listening, you guys don't have a list. But I'm looking at this right now, and I think the best way to bake or make a chocolate chip cookie is just by adding baking soda. Nice, flat, not too big, not too small. Chocolate chips are popping out, nice crisp, crisp around the edge. Soft in the middle. I don't know if Kyle is giving great context in what we're talking about. We have compared the eight different types of ways to cook a cookie. And the ways they are are more flour, only granulated sugar, all brown sugar, the use of melted butter, the use of baking soda, the use of baking powder, the use of both baking powder and baking soda, and with the dough chilled for 24 hours prior. 
Kyle is talking about how he likes the cookie variation that has baking soda in it, just the baking soda. For me, I really like, uh, it's tough for me to say because I really like the all brown sugar look. The all brown sugar look is a nice tight cookie, little bit of a volume to the cookie itself, enough for the dough to kind of be ripply. The chocolate chips are sticking out and looks all good. But with the melted butter, I'm looking at this cookie. Ugh. It's nice, flat, golden brown, has nice looking crispiness to it. You can see the chocolate chips in it, but they're melted. They're nice melted chocolate chips. And you know when you bite into that cookie, it's going to have a good balance of being just a little too hard, but just soft enough. And I personally like that in a cookie. I like a cookie that has a little bit of a bite, but doughiness on the inside. And, and to your point also, there is no cookie like a chocolate chip cookie. No cookie in the history of history will ever be a chocolate chip cookie. The melted butter one just does not look good to me. Why? What's so wrong with it? It looks golden brown crispy. Scaly. It's very scaly. Yeah, it's because it's a crispier cookie. It's made to be crispier. If you don't like crispy cookies, listen, bro, you're the one that likes the edge brownies. How do you not like a crispier cookie? There's a difference between a cookie and a brownie. There is a huge difference. But the baking soda one, like I said, it's crispy on the outside, soft on the inside. What are edge brownies? They're hard on the outside, soft on the inside. I think that the worst looking one is the more flour one. I have to agree. That just looks like a snowball. It just, yeah, it just looks like a, a, it looks like it's still raw. Yeah, just, it looks like it's been cooked for five minutes. Probably was. Probably couldn't cook it more for five, more than five minutes before it just expanded and blew up. I will say both baking powder and baking soda, that's a good cookie. That one looks pretty good too. I won't lie. That one looks like the chocolate chips are probably going to be where you get most of the bite of the cookie from, but you're not too upset about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. the dough chilled one actually looks pretty good too that one looks like it has really good volume but i'm worried that it looks a little doughy i want to try it it looks interesting to try just because I, I, I thought we did the research we did but we just made the cookies we didn't eat them we were just basing it off texture and look yes we 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 are not getting this from any other resource do not nope, nope. nope. anyway yeah, I. so to you, for a chocolate chip cookie, what's important is a crispy outside, fluffier inside. What about the, like, the level of chocolate within the cookie itself? If it's spaced out, then I don't want all my chocolate in one spot, obviously, because like that's just an overload of chocolate, and you're just kind of missing out on the cookie. I think it's important to get some dough within tasting your cookie, because that just brings on the aspects of you know, what you're eating. Balanced out chocolate, not too much, not too little, because you kind of want to feel for a taste of everything. Because the dough has a taste in and of its own. So I'd say, yeah, just to, so I avoid myself from rambling, just balance out the chocolate. I, I'm all for having too much chocolate in a cookie, because who doesn't love chocolate in a cookie? But a nice balanced cookie is definitely desired. And if any of you have any preference to what you add in a cookie to make it your particular way again let us know on social media you can find us on twitter and instagram at my dad's a chef pod and you can also find us on anchor spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts make sure you guys are like rating and sharing the pod 
make sure you guys are also leaving us a review. If you guys leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we will be sure to shout it out. And as always, we do at the end of every episode, we want our guests to eat. So, Kyle, I'm thinking we're serving chocolate chip cookies tonight. So let's give the people their dessert. All right, everybody. Thank you again for listening to the pod. As always, we ask you to like, rate, share the pod with those you feel inclined who would like it. Even if they don't like it, make them listen. We're hungry. We know you're hungry. We all got to eat. So let's eat. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, a disclaimer, our dads are chefs. We know what we're talking about. Thank you, guys. Bing bong.